Thank you. Please be seated. We are sitting down with the patriarchs through this year, 2012, and now we are sitting down with Joseph, the fourth of the patriarchs. And what I want to do today is examine Joseph in the presence of the king of Egypt. It's in Genesis 41. So we are sitting down with the man who runs the country. And Joseph finally has his opportunity to speak to the Pharaoh. And hear now the dream of Joseph that we saw when he was a 17-year-old begins to come to pass. I want us to make sure that as we examine the life of Joseph, we understand what success is biblically, spiritually. We may be tempted to measure Joseph's success by his rise to political power. But in the Bible, it is not the political power of Joseph that is his true success. But it is his positioning by the hand of a sovereign and merciful God in a place of power where he can be an instrument to spare the people of God in a time of great famine. That's the success of Joseph. That he is available to God to preserve the line of the Messiah and so bring salvation to the nations. So we do not want to reduce the story to just storage of grain and management of the nation. But we want to understand in the large spectrum of salvation history what a pivotal place this instrument of God takes now in Egypt. And chapter 41 begins with this statement, when two full years had passed. And just to remind you, last week we saw that the chief butler was spared by the king. And Joseph pled with him, when you get before Pharaoh, mention me and tell him what an injustice I have endured here. And the last chapter ends with the three words, he forgot him. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, one of the great rivers of the world. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside them on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Well, he has another dream of similar pictures with grains of wheat. And he is disturbed and he calls in his advisors and nobody can interpret the dream for him. And then the chief cupbearer remembers what he has forgotten. And he says, oh my, Pharaoh, while I was in the prison, there's a man named Joseph and he interpreted our dreams. And so Joseph is called for. And in verse 16, when he is 
when the Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret dreams. He says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then in verse 28, we have the answer. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph takes over. Soon we shall see that the famine affects not only Egypt, but also Israel, the land of promise. And next week, I want to preach on the theme, why are you sitting here staring at each other? Okay? It is the lead for chapter 42. A man of action who has accomplished his own great victories. Jacob, asset of his sons. I want you to be here next week for why are you sitting staring at one another? All right? But today, I want you to follow the steps of Joseph, this great man of God in the Old Covenant. And number one, look for the activity of God. Someone might say of the life of Joseph, I don't see God doing the great miracles that he did in Moses' day, and that is true. No parting to the Red Sea, no ten plagues that bother the land. In fact, in all the life of Joseph, we don't see what someone might call a class one miracle. It is a miracle indeed that he has interpreted the dreams. But it's not the same as a parting of the Red Sea. Now, I'm the kind of guy that sees miracles all around me. If God gives me a red-headed woodpecker in my backyard, I say, thank you, Lord. If I find a parking space when I'm in a hurry, I say, thank you, Lord. 
I try to attribute every good thing to God. So my life is surrounded by the activity of God. I want to discipline myself to just see God's activity everywhere. And somebody might say of Joseph, I don't see why you think God's active in your life. Look at the mess you're in. Look what happened with your brothers. Look what happened in Potiphar's house. And now you've been locked up for all these years. Why do you think God is active in your life? Joseph knows what Jesus taught us later on. My father is always at work. You count on it in your life. If you want to have a new era, look for the activity of God in your life. Not necessarily in great and stupendous lightning bolts and miracles. But his activity in the daily occupations, circumstances, and situations in the people in which you encounter. Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day. If you're not seeing the activity of God, it's not because God is not at work. It's because you are not paying attention. And you are not attributing these things to God. The first step in a new spiritual day is to look for the activity of God in your life. And the second step is to expect circumstances to be challenging. Just expect that you're going to have difficulties and problems tomorrow morning when you get up. You might say to me, well, look at what Joseph got. Joseph got a free ride. I mean, he now is going to run Egypt for the next 14 years. I mean, he hasn't got any problems. He made it, man. Joseph made it. Joseph woke up with the biggest headache in Egypt. On the first day, he was in charge. Have you ever tried to levy a new tax on farmers and take their grain? I mean, there must have been days when Joseph was implementing this new strategy in the land of Egypt where he said, God, why didn't you pick somebody else? Why do I have to do this? All the headaches involved in implementing this new strategy. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have any problems. For seven years, he's collecting the grain and trying to find places to store it and finally fills up all the storage places. And now he's got to find new ways of handling it. And his life is filled with headaches and worries for all these seven years. Well, it is years of abundance. And then are the years of famine and this the distribution of the grain and trying to be just. He has a tremendously difficult task. Every day when he wakes up, he is doing conflict management and problem solving. Some of us have this illusion that one day we are going to get past the problems and past the challenges and we will be sailing out of these choppy seas and into the serene water where there never is a rocking of the boat. And that young person is an illusion. Life is a series of problems and challenges and storms. You never get it so together that you don't have to trust God anymore 
or that you don't have any challenges in your life. It just never will happen. And if you are delaying the obedience that God is calling for in your life, if you're waiting for the pieces all to come together so that you can finally serve him, the day will never come. You will always have difficulties and challenges, and some of them severe. Often they will tax you and demand all your strength and all your wisdom. And that's what life is. Life is going from day to day and confronting the challenges and opportunities and problems and difficulties and victories of those new days. Rudyard Kipling said in his poem, If if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Well, Joseph, we know, is a dreamer. He's had these grand dreams. He's told them to his brothers and to his father and his mother. And we know he is capable of interpreting the dreams. But today we discover as he com- confronts Joseph, uh, confront, confronts Pharaoh, that not only is he a, a man who can meet the challenges and looks for God in the uh, daily life that he is living, but he also can plan. And Pharaoh likes his plan. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. I'm amazed at Joseph. He comes out of that prison, he interprets the dream. Not only does he interpret the dream, but he goes on to tell Pharaoh what he ought to do. That's pretty bold, isn't it? That's pretty courageous. I mean, I read that and I think, (laughs) wow. He's taking seriously this opportunity he's got to get before the position of power. He interprets the dream and then he says to Pharaoh, now this is what you ought to do, Pharaoh. Look for a discerning and wise man to govern the nation and store up the grain. And he lays out the plan. Joseph is not just a dreamer. He doesn't make dreams his master. He is also a planner. Now, young people... I want you to get this because it will affect all the rest of your days to know that you cannot be captured simply by the dream. You cannot let the dream be your master. You must move on to the plan. Without the blueprint, nothing gets built. Without the map, the journey doesn't reach its destination. Planning is important in the counsel of God. God laid out a plan for our salvation. We call it the plan of salvation. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time, before the worlds were created or even any of this came to be. 
God saw our need and planned for our redemption. And this plan was perfect in that it involved his perfect son coming to earth. So when we talk about the plan of salvation, we're talking about God who culminated all things in the life and death and resurrection of his son. God, in other words, is a planner. For you to reach your highest potential in the usefulness of God and the kingdom work he wants you to do, you too must be able to plan. Joseph says, this is what you ought to do. And he lays it out in some detail. I want you to think about your dream, all right? Some of you have a dream. Now, I'm asking you today, do you have a plan? Have you ever gotten to that part? You say, preacher, this doesn't sound very spiritual to me. The reason that Joseph is elevated to the level that he is in the history of Israel and the counsel of God and his story takes up 14 chapters in the sacred inspired word of God is because he was able to dream but he was also able to plan. The same is true for the Apostle Paul who developed a strategy for carrying the gospel to the great cities of the Roman Empire and had ultimately a plan to get the gospel to Rome and was so determined in his plan that even though he went in a prison ship and in chains, he made it to the city that was the seat of power. And you have a book of Romans in your New Testament because this man had such a passion and fire to take the gospel all the way to Rome. Your planning is important. And you will have many distractions to doing it. But I challenge you today to follow the spiritual life of Joseph. Who developed his plan with faith. His faith is that God is at work around me. He was like his father Jacob who said, God has been with me everywhere I went. And he's watched over me everywhere I went. You remember that statement of his father? Well, Joseph inherited this same sense. God is with me. So I'm going to develop this plan in faith, believing in the sovereignty and the providence of God, that God is watching over me. He's watching over his world. He is involved in the affairs of men. One day when you get to heaven, if you ignore it now, you will see how many ways in which God has been active in your life, watching over you and working out his plan and purpose in you. Joseph not only exercises faith, he exercises patience in the development of his plan. It's going to be a long 14-year process. There'll be many changes. No plan created by a human is perfect. Sometimes we drop back from the planning process because we can't develop a perfect plan. But what Joseph says is, look, you need to find a person 
who is wise and discerning. You need to develop a structure and organization. You need to have folks who are serving under this lieutenant of yours. And so he gives this to the Pharaoh, and this is in his head and in his heart as he speaks to the king. And it is his plan going forward. And I'm sure it had many changes, as will yours. But you develop your plan trusting God, expecting his hand upon your life, knowing that he is going to work through you, that you are his agent in the world, that your purposes are higher than just gathering grain, that you're not just about the business which you own or the occupation that is your chosen profession. But you are about representing the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom in the world in which you live. And that ultimately your success is not so much about what you accumulate, but the influence you have on the lives of men and women around you. The calling of the gospel that proceeds from you to them. The love that you demonstrate for them, that they connect to the God who has made them. That your purpose is about conveying the good news of God's love and the purposes of God in the world to everybody around you. And so you measure success by obedience and faithfulness to what God has called you to do. Joseph planned for success in this endeavor. He said, if we do this, Everybody will eat, including dear old dad and those 11 brothers, including the ones that threw him in the pit and told dad he was dead. They're all going to eat because Joseph has a plan for success in the time of famine. By the way, this famine we know came upon the earth because God ordered it. This is something God was going to do. And so it didn't rain and the crops failed and there were seven years of famine that followed these seven abundant years. You will not always know why trouble has come. There are millions of people in our world right now who do not have enough to eat. Everybody in the room knows that, right? There are people who will die today because they can't find a piece of bread. My brother was in Haiti shortly after the terrible earthquake. And he found an egg in the pickup truck he was in. A chicken, random chicken, had laid an egg. He picked that egg up and there was a little boy that approached the truck. And he said to the little boy, do you want this egg? They were sort of speaking with gestures boy said yes he gave it to the little boy he popped the entire thing shell and all in his mouth crunched it up and ate it right there the hunger in the world is palpable brothers and sisters most of the hunger in the world is not because there is no harvest it's because war and political machinations have severed the lines of supply. Most of the famine in the world, in other words, is man-made. And young people, I am praying and hoping that you will take on the challenge 
that Joseph had to see how the people may have food in your own day and time. That it will be on your heart. It was enough on the heart of God to convey it to his servant. You will not always know why people are not fed. Why disaster has come to your house. Why it has visited you like a stranger that you never knew before. And suddenly you are challenged by these things that are brand new to you. You may not know the source, but always, listen, always in every disaster and trouble that comes your way. I want you to get this now, okay? Respond to God. Respond to God in your trouble. You say, well, God didn't do it. That's all right. You respond to him. You follow the pattern of Job. In the book of Job, we learn in the first two chapters that it is Satan who has come before the court of heaven and challenged Job's goodness and faithfulness to God and said it's only based on materialism. If you withhold from him all of your goods, if you take away your hand of protection, he will curse you to your face. In other words, if you send a famine on Job's life, he will curse you to your face. It was the instigation of the tempter, the deceiver, the devouring lion. But Job, in all those 40 chapters, never says his name. Never refers to Satan the tempter. In all of his trials, he responds to God. And it may be, Lord, I don't know why this is happening to me. Please help me understand it. But ultimately, he says... Even though he slays me, still I will trust him. That's where God wants you. God wants you in the place where you trust him. Whether you're in the prison or Potiphar's house or on the throne of Egypt, you are trusting him. He is your life. He is your source. He is your focus. And you're trusting him. And you respond to him in every crisis that comes your way. You say, Lord, here I am. I don't understand it all. But here I am. I want to be an instrument of yours. I want you to use me. In the heartache and trouble that has come, God, I am yours. I'm available to you. For you to be available to God in heaven is to acknowledge him as the one who is holy, 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 and Lord God Almighty. He deserves your praise. Regardless of the famine or trouble that has come. You plan to succeed, and then you implement the plan. Joseph did it. He did it. He's not just a dreamer and a planner. He's a doer. Like his father Jacob before him, he is a man of action. Like his grandfather before him, Isaac, he does what needs done. Like his great-grandfather Abraham, who left Ur the Chaldees to follow the instructions of God and went to a land he'd never been to before. But he said, I'm going there, I'm on my way, I know God said it, and I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Like all these who have come before him, Joseph is a man who knows how to put one foot in front of the other and walk out the plan that God has given him and you got to do that too 
to really go where God wants you to go, to do what God wants you to do, you got to fill this unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Paul the Apostle knew what it took. He said to the Corinthians that he wanted them to succeed. He wanted them to do well. And he said, don't you know that those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. He's talking to Christian people. He's using this athletic metaphor. He says, now those athletes, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. All right, they got the World Series trophy. And everybody in Texas is sad. All right? I, I emailed my, my pastor friend who lives there near St. Louis, and I said, well, congratulations on a great series. You know, I was a little grudgy, and I'd emailed him a couple things earlier. <laughs> All right, so... Hey... It was a text. He sent a text back to me uh, yesterday. And he said, yeah, I think we beat a better team. I'd agree with that, all right? The Cardinals beat a better team. He said, but now baseball's over. Now what? <laughs> you know, even in St. Louis, there's a little sadness to the end of the series. It's a corruptible crown. It doesn't last. This stuff down here, they do it to, a, to obtain a corruptible crown. A wreath of roses and all the petals fall off. But we, we run to obtain because we're running to receive an incorruptible crown that never fades away. Do you believe that? I wish I could transport you to the trophy tr room of heaven today. Just turn this into a great big 747 and go up there and say, Lord, show us what you got. <laughs> If we spent 10 minutes in the throne room looking at what God has for us, people who are faithful and patient and plan and do and act and obey, we'd come back here never to miss another step in serving the Lord because he who promised is faithful. So the great missionary says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, you look it up. It is the apostle saying, God's people who want to obtain, who strive for the prize, they are people of action. They get in the race and they run to win. And in order to do it, you discipline yourself. You don't just dream. You don't just write out the blueprint. That blueprint must be turned into a house or a building. And you got to take the steps to do it. That's the challenge. You're sitting here in your comfortable zone, but God has given you a dream. And you sketched out your plan. And every time to step from that into the implementation is a risk. You haven't risked, it any, risked anything yet. But to do it, you take a risk. And sometimes we are so afraid of failure 
that unlike Joseph, we shrink from the doing of what God has called us to do. Our Savior knew the plan when his disciples did not. He tried to tell them, but they would not hear. They objected. Peter said, don't you talk like that anymore. I don't want to hear it. Luke says, as he wrote his gospel, Jesus set his face. He locked his jaw on his way back to Jerusalem. The disciples said, you can't go there. They're going to kill you. But Jesus had already told them, I came to do my father's will and to finish his work. That's why I'm here. And it was such an intense focus in him that he continued step by step to the place where he knew sorrow and trouble and death awaited him. But he set his face to go there. And to the very end, he was so focused on the Father's will, on doing the work he was called to do, that even at the crisis point in the garden, he could pray in the time of sorrow, not my will, but thine be done. It is no accident that the perfect Son of God, hung up to die by evil men, was able to say at the end of his earthly life, it is finished. Those are great words. The plan is done. It's accomplished. To hear Paul say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And for all those who do the Father's bidding. I'm here to tell you, young people, dream a dream. Lay out the plan and step forward in the faith that God is with you and at work in your life and see him do awesome things through you. Let's bow together. I don't know what God may be speaking to your life. You may be at any one of these stages. You may be somebody who's refused to dream. You're so full of despair and God is drawing you to dream again of a new future, a future of significance, significant work in your life, yet to be, yet to be accomplished, even though tragedy and sorrow has struck. It may be that you have a plan in your mind, in the drawer, You've written it out. And you believed it came from God. And you've never risked the venture to put it into action. Maybe you've heard the plan of God before to save sinners. And you've never allowed it to happen in your life. You've stood outside the purpose of God all these years. It is time now to come home to the Father.
who gave it all for you, who sent his one and only son, and to trust this God who has made you and who sent his son to rescue you. Would you ask him now, Lord, come into my life. Ask for his forgiveness and give your life to him and so experience God's plan worked out in you. Lord, we trust you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has done his work and the word has gone faithfully to the hearts and ears of men and women in this room. Now, God, give us courage and strength to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit on our life, just like the call on Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. So, God, you are calling us to help us say yes in the moment of decision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.